things about Christian education here as we, we look at this verse of Scripture. And uh, I'm trying to get there to read my text. I want to say I'm, I'm grateful for London Christian Academy. Uh, it had, uh, I, w- I had 12 years of benefit from it in my life. And I'm grateful for it. I like to be able to tell people when I'm talking about the school. The school was started, London Christian Academy was started in 1975. And that year I was a kindergartner. I like to be able to say that. That's fun to say. And uh, the benefit that it's been for my life, uh, for the, uh, the benefit it's been for my family, my brothers, the benefit it has been for my children, the benefit it's been for the Gilpin grandchildren. A few years ago, there were 13 Gilpins in the school. I think we've moved past the biggest bunch. I don't know if we'll ever get to 13 again. Uh, but uh, because five of those younger ones live in Lexington, you know. But uh, the school was a great blessing in my life. The people that were here, the staff members uh, that were a part of it. Uh, Sister Evelyn, of course, was my kindergarten teacher. And uh, whenever you get that password question for some of your logins, your favorite teacher, you all know what my answer is. (laughs) Uh, But I had a lot of great teachers, and uh, I'm thankful for for the blessing that it was to me. I'm thankful for the opportunity of ministry that I've been given these these many years to be a part of London Christian Academy, Uh, and I'm just uh, thankful for that. This scripture, Luke 8 or Matthew 18. Where am I at? I'm lost. I can't see my. What was that scripture, kids? <laughs> it was Luke. Okay, sorry. It's somewhere there. It's Luke. That's the problem. It's at the wrong depth for my glasses to help. It is Luke 18. We're going to get going. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. I've got a couple other verses of Scripture I want to read along these lines. Ephesians 6 and verse 18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17 says, Pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Philippians 4 verse 9 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. How do we accomplish praying always? How do we accomplish praying always? without ceasing and uh, pray with me Lord we thank you for your word 
We thank you that it speaks to us in specific ways about the way we are to live. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will uh, make alive in our hearts what your Spirit would say to the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pray without ceasing. Uh, Is that an all-night prayer meeting? I've been in all-night prayer meetings. They're pretty hard. They're pretty rough, all-night prayer meetings. Uh, you, you You get into those wee hours of the morning and uh, it's, it's tough to get through. I remember when I was a young person, we got all excited, some of us young guys. Josiah, here's you an idea. You're getting to that age. You, can, you might can do this if you get your license. Actually, I, didn't have, I did have my license when it started. We, had, we started a 5.30 prayer meeting for some of us young men that were serious about the things of God. 5.30, folks. I was about 18, 19 years old, and we did it for several weeks. We did it for several months. One morning I got up and I said, I'm going to ride my bike. I'm going to put a little exercise, some workout into this. So I said, I'm going to ride my bike from North Hills Subdivision on the north side of town to the church. You know, it's not very far. I, it wouldn't be anything. But at 530 in the morning when you ride your bike about three or four miles and you come in and you get down on your knees and you put your head down, you know what you do? You go back to sleep. <laughs> Men ought always to pray and not to faint. How do we accomplish this? How is it that we are able to pray without ceasing? When you, talk, when you think about what prayer is, prayer is petition. Well, how many times can I come to God and tell him what I want? Prayer is petition. Do I do that without ceasing? Uh, prayer is repentance. Well, how many times do I have to repent? Prayer is intercession. I need to intercede for somebody. We do that in prayer request time. We do that at various times. Prayer is worship. We gather to hear in this place to worship God. Our worship service is really a prayer service. Prayer is adoration. Prayer is praise. Prayer is an expression of faith. But when I think about praying without ceasing, I get all of that stuff I just mentioned in a little box that's called my prayer time in the morning and maybe my prayer time at church and maybe a little bit of prayer, extra prayer here, and I don't think that's praying always. How do you pray without ceasing? How do you pray without ceasing? What is prayer? Prayer is talking to God. Prayer is having that communion and that fellowship and that conversation with God. You know, part of, part of the issue here with this idea of prayer without ceasing is we have, we have kind of been... Uh, We've been set up in our culture today to, to do something that's... Then this is where we'll talk a little bit about Christian education. The idea or the worldview of dualism. There's, there's, it's just a short word. It's just seven letters. Uh, where the, the sacred is separate from the secular. That the scientific is nothing like the spiritual. 
The natural has nothing to do with the spiritual. And so we, uh, we, 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 we separate things. And that's, that's what's gone on in, in education in the United States of America. Brother Jarvis talked about this morning that they, they said, we've got to separate. This education is separate from spiritual. We have to take all of this Christian stuff out of the school, and we've got to separate this. And all of your learning that's going on over here in school has nothing nothing to do with God, has nothing to do with the Bible, has nothing to do with that. And so we have this, this idea, this concept of dualism that leaves God out of part of our life. Leaves God, facts are separate from values. Facts are derived from the scientific method. And every fact is just meaningless. Values are personal and private. That's where we are in this world today. Personal autonomy is at the top level of the gods of this world right now. What I say about myself, nobody can tell me it's different. And if you are telling me different, you have committed violence against me. Personal autonomy is the top level god of this world right now. One problem with the idea of idolatry today is idols are harder to recognize than they used to be. In the Old Testament, you saw that Baal standing there when he toppled over and his arms broke off there in the book of Samuel. Everybody knew that's the God. In the time of Greeks and the, and the Romans, you had all of that Mount Olympus that was all kinds of Zeus and Apollo and all of that. And they had the temples that were built and all those idols were very recognizable. But in our secular society today, the gods of this world, the idols of this world are not recognizable. And, he, and even though they say that it's secular, it's not religious. It is a religion, a secular of secularism and the top God there are many gods in that religion of secularism the top God today is that personal autonomy that I determine who I am and nobody can tell me different the way I want to be is the way I want to be and you cannot take that away from me that dualism uh, science is separate from theology the spiritual life is separate from the ordinary life. But the sad thing is that lots of times you and I in the church are guilty of this same thing. And in our graduation, uh, Brother Combs mentioned one dualism that we in the church, if we're not careful, we will uh, we'll, we'll, we'll fall under that idea. And he talked about being in full-time Christian service. There is no such thing as full-time Christian service and part-time Christian service. Yeah, there are some specific vocations that involve someone spending more of their weekly and daily time in a specific activity that relates to the church. Yes, there are vocations in the church, but there are no Christians. You're not a Christian if you're not in full-time Christian service. You're not serving God. 
You're serving another God. And that the, the ideal of this dualism and the reason why young people, when they come to that place where they get out of school, they're moving on to college, they're beginning to do their own things, and they begin to look at life, and all of a sudden that scripture where Jesus said, no man can serve two masters, either he'll hold to the one and he'll despise the other, he'll love the one and he'll, clean, or they'll, he'll give up the other, that comes to fruition in the life of those young people because they've been taught all all their life. This is school. This is science. This is history. But over here's church. You go there once a week, three times a week. That's all right. Just give a little bit there. But the whole life is separate. And so they leave the church because they start looking at, well, if I want power, if I want possessions, if I want pleasure, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, if I want these things, I'm going to take that up in this old world. And the allurement of the world pulls them away because they've been taught that there are separate things. But we're guilty to do it in ourselves. In, in my experience, as I was thinking about this this week and in and, and recent weeks as I was getting ready, I started thinking about how I have operated and how I failed in this. And one thing that came to mind is, is I have coached on the, the basketball team here for years. For years I've coached the basketball team. We've had ups and downs. We've always had a good time, though. But there were years that I said, you know what, I get chapel ready, I teach Bible classes, I counsel students. When I go to ball practice, I don't have time to talk about God. Now, I never said that out loud, but that's the way I operated. Until a few years ago, the Lord said, you know what, Greg, you probably ought to do something here with these young men while you have them. And the Lord convicted me that I was, I was living a dualism there. Okay, I'm doing enough over here, but over here we're just going to play ball and get over with it. Get it over with. So I started taking a few minutes with the boys. We fail because our whole society is built this way. A dualism. Well, what are we talking about? Men ought always to pray and not to faint. You know, one man... I think his name was Mr. Green. I can't remember his first name. He said, to pray without ceasing is a life lifted into communion with God. A life lifted into communion with God. And so as I was, as I was looking at this, to pray without ceasing, uh, one thing that sometimes keeps us from talking to someone is we're, we're not sure they want to talk to us. We're not sure they want to talk to us. Maybe they're too important. You know, there maybe there was a, that guy or that girl that you, you, you may remember if you're older and you can look back. If you're younger, you may be thinking of somebody. Am I going to talk to them? Will they talk to me? Do I want to talk to them? It could just be uh, making friends. You know, we go to one, one reason we go to ball tournaments and we go to convention is we want our young people to fellowship. And we encourage them to get out there. And now I'm not talking about getting a boyfriend or girlfriend, I'm talking about fellowship. And, uh, and you know, get to know somebody. Go, go across that court and talk to that fella. Get, a, get to know that 
girl from that other school. Make a friend. But we often wonder, well, will they talk to me? Do they want to talk to me? I want to let you know that when God says to pray without ceasing and men ought always to pray, I want you to know God wants to talk to you. He does want to talk to you. And so there should not be any hesitation as to whether or not God wants to talk to me. Sometimes we wonder if God does because maybe we feel some guilt or maybe we feel some some shame in ourselves. But I want to encourage you tonight and let you know that God wants to talk to you and he is, is desperate to talk to you. I'm going to mention a few things He's spoken to us. One thing that's clear is he's spoken to us in his word. And he's spoken to us through his son. And uh, I could spend some time on that, but in a chapel service, I try to go a little bit faster. (laughs) But I want to talk a little bit about how God is always talking to us. And the way God always talks to us. Now, I have my time when I read this Bible when God speaks to me out of this Bible. And I have my, I have my time when, when I am really focusing on Jesus Christ and his person. And his person, as I read about him in the word, and as his spirit begins to speak to me about him, then I begin to think... I begin to think about, and he begins to speak to me through his person when I see what he did. But, but I want to let you know that God wants to speak to you, and he speaks to you all the time, so much so that he has never quit talking to you, which is exactly what he told us to do for him. He never quit talking. He doesn't want us to ever quit talking to him. How does he talk to us? How does he talk to us? How does he speak to us? You know, have you ever had, I've, I've got a few friends that uh, they, they just never quit talking. You know, I'm with them and I love them for it. Hey, what about the cats? Ten minutes. I don't have to say a word. And then, then I, all I got to do is say, been fishing lately? Ten minutes on fishing. How's your mom and dad? Man, that conversation will go for a long time depending on what's going on with mom and dad. And they just never quit talking. Now, there's some friends, they're this way, and I kind of avoid them, you know. It's just how it is. But God never quits talking. He, is, he started talking, and he's never quit talking. He spoke to us the first time when he said, let there be light. He was talking to you And he was talking to me when he said that. There in that first chapter of Genesis, he began speaking to us and he has not quit speaking to us. He spoke the things that are that we see into existence. He brought them into existence. He spoke them into reality. He didn't say, uh, he, he used a word, that important word, be. 
He brought it into reality. Being is one of the most important aspects of any worldview and any philosophy. Jesus spoke things into being. He spoke things into being. He spoke uh, the creation into existence. I want to look for just a few minutes about how much he wants to talk and what does he talk about. Uh, He talked about, and so if you look in in Genesis chapter 2, God had a couple conversations. These are the first recorded conversations in the Bible. The first recorded conversations. Chapter 2 and verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. You know what God wanted to talk about right there? He wanted to talk about morality and ethics. Now I'm talking about Christian education. He wanted to talk about morality and ethics. And he did. He said, Adam, let's talk about law. Now it's not a long conversation, but he talked to Adam about that. What's the second conversation? And the Lord said, now here the Lord is talking to himself. Let's move on down a little bit to verse 19. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them into Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field for Adam. But for Adam there was not found in helpmeet. Now we don't have quotation marks in these paragraphs, in these verses, but there was a conversation going on here. What was God talking to Adam about? He was talking to him about science. He was talking to him about zoology. He was talking about the animal world. And he said, Adam, look at all these animals I've created. What about that, Adam? Like that conversation that my buddy has about his fishing trip and that fish he caught. God said, look what I've created. And he said, Adam, talk to me about it. Tell me what you would name this. Tell me what you would name this. And I don't know what the conversation was exactly, but I believe that as Adam looked at those creatures, he began to see things about God. And he said, you know what that tells me? I'm going to call it this. He didn't just come up with horse and cat and dog. I believe he probably came up with something that reflected the nature and the person of God in that creature that God had created. God spoke to him. God wants to speak to you. You know what he wants to speak to you about? What I'm getting to here, one more thing real quick. When you get down to verse 23, and Adam said, so this is Adam, after Eve was created, so the rib came out of him, verse 22, and in verse 23 we have the third conversation in the Bible recorded, besides God speaking within the Trinity. 
Adam begins to talk. He's not talking, he, and he begins to talk, and he says, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So he looks at God. Now, he's not talking to woman, or this would be kind of some weird third-person conversation where, you know, you talk about the guy in the third person, uh, like my mom does, that Mike Gilpin. <laughs> So he wasn't talk he was talking to God here. And he said, This is woman. This is woman. But you know what? Adam discovered something that God had put in place in that moment, just looking at the creation God had brought into existence in this woman. Adam figured something out because God spoke to him in his creation. What did Adam figure out? He said, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Just looking at the creation God had made in the person of Eve, Adam came to an understanding and a realization of how society should be built. He came to an understanding of what we call today uh, sociology. Real, he found that out from the, looking at the creation. You know, young person, God wants to talk to you, and he's talking to you every second and every minute of every day if you're willing to look and listen and catch what God is trying to say. Now, when Adam fell in his sin, what, what we get out of creation isn't quite as clear. He could have understood a whole lot more things if he would have given himself a little bit more time in God's grace and in God's, in the perfect innocence that God had given him. But he figured that out from the creation. What did God say? He said, the thing, the, the, the things of God are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God speaks to himself, to us about himself through his creation. God wants to talk to you. God wants to talk to you. He put in place this creation to reveal himself to us. He reveals himself in this creation that he has made. Those classic scriptures that says, I can't, I'm looking for them here on my, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard, and their line is gone out through all the earth, and the, their words to the ends of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. He's saying everything that's composed in this universe is speaking the very presence and being and power of God. And as we see what's around us, we should understand God is speaking to me every day in his creation. 
Job went through so much trouble and so much trial and so much pain and so much suffering and he and his friends tried to figure it out, tried to get to the bottom of it, tried to see if Job needed to do something or if Job needed to change something about his life. And so God finally steps on the scene. God finally steps on the scene in Job 38. And you know what God did not talk about? He didn't talk about Job's problems. He didn't talk about why it happened. He didn't talk about his friends and how wrong they were. You know what God spoke about? If you look at Job chapter 38, 39, and 40, God talked about his creation. He said, where were you when I put the stars in place? Where were you when I set the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I brought all these things into being? And then in another chapter, he talks about all kinds of animals and the wonderful, amazing things that happen in the animal world. And he spoke about that. He talked about the, the, uh, the, the, the cycle of weather that goes on and how the rain falls and it goes back up. He talked about the stars that are in the heaven and the constellations that are there. He spoke about all those things. He didn't talk about the problems. He said, Job, when you look at this, where were you? And when Job, when he got finished talking to Job, Job's response in chapter 42, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, I will speak, I will demand of thee and declare those unto thee. I have heard thee, heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, and now mine eye seeth it. He said, Lord, you've come and told me about this creation, and now that I've opened my eyes and I'm looking around at what you've made and what you've done and how you've brought that to my attention, Lord, now I see and now I understand. It brought the solution to Job's problem just looking at creation. God just said, look at creation. Look at creation. Look at creation. That's how God was able to bring him out of his despondency. And bring him the victory. God wants to speak to you. He is speaking to you each and every day. He's speaking to you the truth of who he is and what he is. And he is always speaking. When Jesus came, the Bible says that he spoke to them in parables. That's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus didn't spend a lot of time talking about high theological concepts. He didn't. He talked about those earthly stories with heavenly meanings. You know what? He didn't explain very many of them. Because the reality is when he talked about the common, ordinary things in life, he was saying, the ones that get it, they'll want more. The ones who are like Job, my, I have seen it. They want more. They want more. And they come back. And they say things like, never a man spake like this man. And there were others saying, has this man lost his mind? But there were those that heard. 
And they said, I've got to get more of this. God speaks to us not in the amazing uh, concepts of theology, but he speaks to us in the simple, ordinary things of life. He is there with us each and every day. When you talk about, well, let's talk about, uh, now this is about Christian education. You talk about school subjects. You think about that subject, math, arithmetic, counting, God's a counter. You know God's a counter? You know what? He knows how many hairs on every one of your heads. And Keith makes it a little hard because he shaves them down really close. But I'll tell you what, God knows each and every shaft and follicle on that man's head, even though you and I can't see it. As I was thinking about this over the last few days, I got up one morning and I, I, I had... I wet my head because this mop don't go down without a little water on it. And I raised up and I saw that hair in that sink. And I said, Lord, you all are laughing, but this was a moment for me. You're running it. (laughs) That's what kids would do in chapel. It wasn't that I was losing my hair. It was that God knew that hair fell in that sink. He didn't miss it. He did not miss the fact that that hair fell in that sink that morning. He had the exact count. He had the count when I went to bed the night before. And when I finished fixing my hair, he had the count again. And young person, he's never going to lose count of your life. He's never going to lose count of the hairs on your head. And if we see God in the ordinary things of life, he'll show himself to us. He'll show himself to us. God wants to speak to us. He's given us this world not to just be something that we can go out there and conquer and build and make money and get prestige and power. He's given us this world so that we can know Him. He's given us this creation as a place where that we can stand and give glory to His name. When you think about mathematics, geometry, you have a point Point brings location. Point brings location. You add another point, Brother Jarvis, his favorite math teacher, went through this. You add another point, and you have length. You have length. You add a third point, and you have area. You add a fourth point, and you have space. And you know what the Bible says about that? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Every bit of it. When he created this world, it was a space. It was a geometric space where you and I could exist and enjoy his presence. That's what God did. That's what God did when he created this world. He looked at it and said it was good. You know why he said it was good? Because he was getting it ready for you and me to be here and fellowship with him. He said it was good because he knew that he was going to create you and me and we were going to be here in this space and come to know him and be saved. And you know what? We're going to another space later on that he's prepared and we haven't been there yet there's a lot of spaces on this earth i've not been to and i'd like to go and see but you know what god is always preparing a place for you and me he's doing it right now god wants to speak 
to us. As we look at how God speaks to us, it gives us an indication of how we speak to him. Yes, we have intercession, we have petition, we have praise, we have worship, we have all of these things. But God wants to communicate with us in the ordinary things of life. And when you look at that last days of Jesus' life, when he went into that upper room with those disciples and he began to spend time with them, he got to a certain point in that Passover meal and he said, hey guys, I want you to look at this. Take this bread. This is my body that I give for you. Ordinary things of life. He said, this cup, this is the cup of Passover. This, this cup, this is the cup is my blood, which I shed for you. The ordinary things of life. You would say, well, communion is just a one-time one thing. It's just, it just happens once a month here at First Pentecostal Church. We get a little cup and we put the little piece of square bread in our mouth. And No, no. God means for it to be each and every day. That's why we as Christians, we pray over our meals. That's why we do that. Because it's a time to communicate with God. It's not just thanks, it's communion with God. Uh, when I think about it, I look on down a few days later that he's on that road to Emmaus. He gets those disciples. They're just so lost and confused, and he's talking to them. They don't even recognize who he is. But you know what? Something happened when he sat down at that table and he broke that bread in that ordinary moment of life. They said, oh, my goodness, there's Jesus Christ sitting across the table. We just were talking about it's you that's the way God speaks to us in the ordinary things of, of life and we he wants us to come back to him in communion as well in those ordinary things of life as worshiping him and knowing him that communion the entire creation one writer wrote, the entire creation is meant to be sacramental. Our handling of it is either reverent obedience to God in Jesus Christ or rebellious independence while serving some other idol of our choosing. Everything we do is an act of prayer to God. When Jesus engaged those men on the road to Emmaus, he engaged them in the ordinary things of life. God says to us in Psalms, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. In 1 Corinthians 10, he said, Whether ye eat therefore, whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. And, and then Colossians verse three seventeen says, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. You realize that's a prayer? Everything I do is glory to God. Everything I do is glory to God. Whatever I put, every act you perform is an act of worship. This is prayer. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's prayer. When they brought a sacrifice in the Old Testament, they were bringing a prayer to God. Either a prayer of thanksgiving in their sacrifice or a prayer of repentance 
in their sacrifice. Everything that you and I do, when we get up and present our body a living sacrifice each and every day, that is prayer. Every act of sacrifice is a communication with God. It's praying. Everything that we do, Hebrews 10 and verse Hebrews 13 says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. Doing good every day, communicating the truth of God every day, Helping people, that's what that word, doing good, communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Everything we do, everything we do, we have to, and we're, we're, we're so prone to, to fall into that area of dualism. And, and we went to the ocean a week or so ago, and, and, uh, and, and looking at the vastness that was there, and I was reminded of that scripture that says, where is it at? <laughs> Verse 3 of Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord is upon the waters, the glory of God thundereth, the Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. You ever sat in a fire and watched the flames? It's, it's a relaxing. That's the voice of God. That's the voice of God. And as we recognize that, and we say, there's God. We're talking to him. Job said, I see you. I see you. He was excited about it. Mason, when you got that turkey out in front of you, you can let that, pull that trigger. I see the Lord. I see the Lord. Everything we do. Everything we do, whatever I find to do, I do it to the Lord. Everything in my life. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Letters to Malcolm, chiefly on prayer, he said, begin where you are, right where you are. That's where prayer begins. That's where praise begins, right where you are. He said, the cushiony moth, moss, the cushiony moss, that coldness and the sound of dancing light were no doubt very minor blessings compared to the means of grace and the hope of glory. But then they were manifest. So far as they were concerned, sight had replaced faith. They were not the hope of glory, but they were an exposition of the glory itself when we look at the things around us and say there's the glory of God now it's easy to do when we pick that baby up right after it's born oh my we know the presence of God but we should feel that way every day in his creation 
in his created world. And as we learn to do that, as we learn to do that, then we are praying always. And we're praying without ceasing. How do we pray without ceasing? We make sure that we see God when he shows himself to us. And the more we understand how full in this world he is, the more we'll see him and be praying. And one illustration I'd like to finish with is, young people, what's the, what's the one thing you have to know where it is before you go to bed? What's the one, and, and adults too, what's the one thing you have to find when you wake up? What is it? Your phone. Thank you, Zach. You know, I think we have a little bit of illustration of maybe what pray without ceasing is like. I'm always gravitating back towards it. Where is it? There it is. I'm always gravitating back for it. I'm always looking for it. And then we open it up. And we pick the app. And we scroll. We scroll. You know what? In life, that's what we should be doing. Where's God? Where's God? There he is. Oh, there he is. Oh, wasn't that funny? That, that, thank you, Lord. Or, ooh, wasn't that cool? Thank you, Lord. Not just on the phone, though, in a TikTok or a reel, but in this world around us. If we get the same mindset towards this, towards God, that's praying without ceasing. I'm always wondering, listening for that sound. What's God, that sound of a text, sound of a phone call. I'm always looking to see if there's a notification on the screen. It's always in my mind. I'm always looking towards it. God has put us a vast world of creation around us. And he said, be looking for me. Be looking for me. Don't stop looking for me. And as we look for him, that's praying without ceasing. Lord, I need you. And so I want to challenge you. Every time you touch your phone this week, say, Lord, I need you. I don't know. Make a call. Lord, every time you touch it. If you'll do that, I don't know. If you look at your screen time reports, you'll know how many times you, you do it. Every time you touch it this week, say, Lord, I need you. Lord, what are you wanting to say? Every time you do a, one of these, say, Lord, I need you. Because sometimes we can sit there, young people, and we can do this for hours. Can't we? Can't we? Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Look for God. And when you look for him and see him, give him praise and recognize who he is. That's how we pray without ceasing. Lord, I thank you for the privilege we have to have a personal relationship with the God and creator of the universe. And Lord, that you are intimately and closely and nearly involved in my life. God, I thank you for it. I thank you for it. And Lord, don't let me... Uh, take advantage or put aside the privilege we have to always be looking for you and always be praising you, always be hearing from you, and always be responding to you. 
Lord, we don't have two parts of our lives. I don't have a part that's separate from you. It's all in you. And Lord, I need to get out of the mentality of of the ordinary is somehow separated from you because you're right there with me in the ordinary of it all. And Lord, help me to, to live a life seeing you. And as Job did, Lord, that we can say, now I see Now I see, now I know, now I hear. And we glorify you and praise you in those lights of glory that you bring our way. Lord, I pray that there's anybody here tonight that's discouraged. Anybody here tonight that maybe they feel like that you're far away. Lord, I pray that you'll help them to know that you are near And that you've got all of this world speaking on a megaphone of how much you love them and how great your power is and what you can do in their lives. And you've not forgot about them. It's not any concern, Lord, at all for you to be able to reach down and touch them tonight. And Lord, as we take some time to pray in these altars, I pray, that Lord, that you'll lift us up to that place of seeing that far more eternal weight of glory that you're producing in our life each and every day. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Let's come into these altars and let's spend some time praying. And I trust that you can bring your needs to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm glad to be here and I'm thankful to be in your presence. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Glory to God.